Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Gun Show presented by MTD CNC Global. Today and every day, I'm always gifted to speak with some really amazing people. You guys know that. You're listening to the show. You've, you've adjusted now to my quirkiness. But today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Jim Radke and Tom Chambers, both regional sales managers at Heimbuch America. This is The Gun Show. So, Tom, Jim, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Tony. So what we typically like to do on this show is we like to get to know, you know, the guys that are on here. We want to know you. We like it when when the authenticity of humanness comes to play and then we can connect on many different levels, understanding your technical know-how and the products we want to discuss. And obviously, Heimbuch is a fantastic German company that's here in the U.S. as well, and you guys represent them. We know the quality that comes from them. But let's learn a little bit about you guys first. So, Jim, would you mind explaining what were you like as a kid? How did you get into this industry? Did you go to school? Was it by mistake? And, you know, what the heck are you doing now? Well, um, I was a career machinist. I went to uh, college for mechanical engineering, uh, got out and got into a machining career. Um, I did that for about 16 years and an opportunity presented itself at uh, Heimbuch America. And uh, it was a product I could really get behind and was passionate about. And uh, it was an exciting career change that I was able to make. Um, and it's just been nothing but good things since. So that's pretty much how I got where I'm at now. Did you always know that you were going to be an engineer? Were you that kid fixing things all the time? Yes. Well, my father was a, a career engineer. Um, so, you know, I've always been interested in tinkering with stuff. And um, it's pretty much my whole life have been interested in manufacturing and engineering and things like that. It's always been a, an interest of mine. And, and the technical side of things with Heimbuch America is, is kind of your, you know, bread and butter or meat and potatoes or, you know, where you come from, right? When it comes to your passion with Heimbuch, it comes from that engineering side. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was part of Heimbuch's interest in bringing me onto the team as was my career in, uh, in machining and engineering and things like that. They were excited to have me on and vice versa. Yeah, awesome. Well, I look forward to learning from you on this podcast. But for now, let's segue over to Tom. Tom, my friend, how are you, bud? I'm good. How are you, Tony? Always happy, almost always grateful. So let's learn a little bit about you, my friend. What are, what are you up to these days? How did you get started? I know that you're a, a good talker, a good sales guy, um, but also, you know, somewhat technical as well. So were you that kid as well that always wanted to be an engineer? No, I was a broadcasting major. So uh, that didn't really play out so well and uh, found myself working a real job as a production planner in a manufacturing facility. And uh, it kind of gravitated towards the sales side, um, became an inside sales manager for those guys. And uh, when I got up, fed up with inside sales, I thought, you know, let's give outside a try and uh, worked with Fidel uh, selling mills for 10 years and uh, kind of progressed through a couple of different companies since then. I've been with Heimbu now for about seven years. Wow, that's pretty cool. Tell me a little bit more about this broadcasting gig. That's I don't hear that every day. That's my that's what I wanted to do, or that's what I majored in, or my passion. So, would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I I just always wanted to be that radio DJ. Um, you know, grew up listening to my uh, my heroes, and uh, thought I'd take a shot at that. And went to Valley College where they had a radio station, uh, KVCM for Valley College Music, powered by about a nine volt battery that. Covered the campus, so uh, that was my claim to fame. At least six or seven people had heard my radio uh, expertise, and then uh, out of college, I needed a job, and 
there weren't a whole lot of broadcasting jobs open, so kind of moved into the uh, the real world of manufacturing, if you will, and kind of fell in love with uh, machining and process and and uh, learning about the biz. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> you're very you're very good with words, so I can appreciate that broadcasting background for sure. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that Fidel background? Because I know those machines very well um, and used to program a couple myself. What was that experience like going from broadcasting to, to working with uh, machines? It was a great experience, really. Uh, it's funny, uh, going back this far, I probably date myself, but I actually got the job out of an article in the Los Angeles Times. I uh, wasn't enamored with where I was, and I thought, well, I'll give it a try, and uh, interviewed with Fidel, ended up getting an offer, and uh, they kicked me out on the street or into the pool, if you will, and said swim. Uh, so that that was it. Uh, I went with Fidel until they actually closed their doors and uh, became Cincinnati and MAG. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, when they reopened, is it still in that Southern California location? I stopped by a Southern California location not too long ago. Um, where they were trying to relaunch, but also in Michigan, I think was the headquarters. Yeah, actually it, it had been, uh, the, the proprietary information for the Fidel machines had been purchased by a guy who used to run all American CNC, um, Tim Consolvi. He was the sales guy for us in Orange County. And, uh, so he, uh, I think he's picked up and run with it, uh, in the time since then. To my knowledge, he has as well. Tim's a good dude, friend of mine, um, been by that building. Um, yeah, so Tim, if you're listening, there's a shout out to you, buddy. So I want to segue from this, and Jim, you can you know kind of chime in if you want to. Tom, up to you as well. Um, but working with Heimbook, both of you have been there for a few years now, and something we've discussed previously, and this segues a little bit from working with the Fidel Mills here, is there's oftentimes a misconception, and that misconception is, Heimbook is known for, I mean, really known for their lathe work, right? And, and the, you know, power chucks and the, the, all, well, all the chucks that are on there. But every now and again, people go, wait a second, I can also use that, the same type of power chuck on my mill, right? Is this, would you like to explain a little bit how that works and kind of, you know, break down how that misconception can now be learned so we can kind of apply this to our daily lives and understanding? Sure. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, the perception is that we're a rotating work holding company, but we actually um, pride ourselves on the modularity of our system. And that's kind of the sweet spot uh, of our system. You're able to go from a chuck to ID work holding to OD three jaw work uh, with quick, easy changeover and maintain that accuracy. So the next evolution of that was to develop something for the mills that allowed you to use those same adaptations that you can use on the chuck. Um, we also make several specific products for mills as well. Jim, would you like to add anything to that or Tom pretty much, pretty much solved that case? I think Tom pretty much nailed it on the head, you know, just being able to have, um, you know, really good uh, stationary work holding that can be standardized with your turning work holding, you know, just being able to throw a, whatever you use to hold it in the lathe over to the mill and, um, you know, have it, just standardized to what you're using throughout your shop is, a, is an excellent thing. I can give a, a personal testimony here as well. I had the great privilege of hanging out with our buddy, uh, Mike, Mike Larson, not too long ago over in Wisconsin. And um, he told me, he said, you know, this, this, 
today, to, tonight, and tomorrow stand here is extremely easy to use. And I said, you know what? Let me give it a try. As I've never tried it before, and I've, I've not had the you know, 22 years ago now at this point. And, you know, I'm getting old these days. 22 years ago was when I started working on Lay's for about six, seven years. And um, my company didn't have the Heimbuk technology. And so I was constantly twisting my, uh, my lathe uh, spindle or lathe turret um, to pull small ER collets in and out the whole time. Right. And, and this is kind of a long story to, to finishing up with. So I had not tried this before, right? I'm not a dummy, but also I had not tried it. So how easy is it? And he said, well, let's give it a try. I said, you know what? Let's do it for the first time on camera. And if it's embarrassing, let it be embarrassing. And if it's that easy, we'll show the world how easy it is. And sure enough, we recently released that video with you guys uh, in MTD when I was at Heimbuch in Wisconsin, grabbed that thing, that power chuck for the first time, popped it out of the lathe version into the mill version or vertically and horizontally, just so everyone can understand, and did it in a matter of seconds. It really is that easy to use. So the reason I bring that up is because being that it's that easy to use, something else that's significant is keeping that spindle turning, but also being able to have that repeatability, right? We want to be able to repeat when we switch in a different size chuck or from a lathe to a mill. What is that repeatability and, and, and how significant do you think that is in the industry? Well, you know, obviously, like you said, the quick change is, is, is very important, but uh, having the repeatability um, is is almost more important. You know, you don't have to spend the time dialing anything in from one thing to the other. Um, you know, our repeatability is is down to the micron. I mean, it's 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 very small. Um, you know, chance for error. So, I mean, that like you said, keeps your spindle going. Um, it keeps your downtimes down. You know, it, it um, makes the operator more confident from uh, changing from one thing to another. Um, you know, just all around. I think you pretty much nailed everything on the head with what you were saying there. And I actually watched that video <laughs> just a little bit ago of you changing that. And you looked like you were coming into it thinking it wasn't going to be that easy. And then the look on your face when, when it was, was, was priceless. So I actually just watched it. Oh, that's the exact uh, authenticity that I wanted it to be. So I'm glad it came off that way as well. Cause it wasn't one of those made up things, right? It really wasn't, well, I've done this 20 times. So let me pretend like this is my first time. No, I wanted it to be real. And I wanted to fail if I was going to fail. So I was okay with that. Absolutely. So I spent some time recently um, at a place called VAC Motorsports, who you guys probably know. Um, and they have a great testimonial uh, that we're going to release with MTD talking about, I was able to produce in four months what I was able to produce in four years by switching over to the Heimbuch modular system and a Mazak Integrex machine. Um, and during that interview, he actually broke down the machine for me. And back in the day, I would, what we're talking about here is that repeatability and how much labor goes into changing different chucks on and off of a lathe. He was able to do it in less than about 20 minutes, which used to take, to my knowledge, a day. Is that the same experience for you as well, Tom? It is. And it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't look at the amount of time they spend changing over work holding. Um, having sold mills, um, I remember when we came up with a three second tool change and boy, everybody absolutely had to have it. And I still talk to shop owners today and I ask them, was that three second chip to chip tool time important in this purchase for you? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, that's a big deal for us. Well, when you take a look at it, if you make a hundred tool changes a day in a shop, that's an awful lot, right? So I'm going to go out and buy a half million dollar machine 
and I'm going to spend time to make sure that I have 100 three-second tool changes. So I'm going to save five minutes a day, five minutes a day. But they won't take a look sometimes at the work holding that takes them a couple of hours, even if they're just bumping one chuck off, say a collet chuck's coming off, and we're going to go to a three-jaw chuck. There's an hour, hour and a half there. And if you're in an aerospace shop, oftentimes you have a first article. And if the guy's out to lunch or on vacation, you've got more time. So I think when folks start to take a look at it and the things that they find important to themselves that have been important to machinists for a long time, um, now they need to really start looking at that change over time, just like we see people going to capto tooling uh, and those types of things. I, I think we're at a point in the industry now where folks really absolutely think about their tooling and their work holding with a machine purchase, whereas 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of what I've seen as well. And I've actually seen somebody rush a, you know, whether it be a three from a collet to a three jaw or a three jaw to a larger, smaller three jaw, either way, it needed to be switched out. Right. And when they rushed through it, it wasn't completely balanced. It wasn't a system that was a quick change system like yours was. And I've seen a three jaw jump come chuck come through the plexiglass of a cnc machine and i've seen it several times take that machine and make it start dancing on the floor and i don't know about you guys but i've had to change my pants a few times thanks to that the kind of thing yep absolutely absolutely yeah jim is there anything you want to add about uh that that quick change system and the amount of time that goes into it on a regular basis versus the amount of time savings that we're seeing with the heimbuch system Absolutely. Well, I can attest that coming from a machinist background, you know, there's been several times where, um, you know, your workload throughout the day um, would require switching from, you know, a collet system to a three jaw and, you know, your production was cut drastically down from having to do that. Um, you know, having a system like this in that shop environment would have helped me out. Um, unfortunately, you know, I didn't have those in the shops I was working in. So it's definitely an important thing to have. And then touching on the safety, like you said, if you hurry through it, the thing can come through the safety glass. It's really dangerous. But, uh, you know, there's other safety aspects of our quick change system, you know, like the lifting systems and things like that can just, you know, stop you from throwing your back out from having to buck this thing around and hold on to it. So there's on almost every regard, it, it um, it's helpful in a shop environment. Um and, you know, basically, like Tom said, that a lot of the times people don't look at their work holding when they think setup times, they look at tool changes and programming and things like that. And, you know, I can I can say from being a machinist that uh, the work holding takes, you know, probably 50 percent of the time in a setup, you know, figuring that out. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I had a conversation with a really cool group the other day. Um and they were working on a mill and uh, and they and one of the gentlemen came from additive manufacturing. And he looks at me and I well, I asked him, I said, what was one of the biggest changes? He goes, I did not realize how much is involved in setup times when setting up these machines, when removing material instead of adding material. And he said almost verbatim what you just said, Jim, was it's 50 percent or more of my time is setting up that work piece. So why wouldn't we focus on that more? And with that being said, do you guys often, do people often look at you and assume that because it's a German made high quality product that is going to be extremely expensive or far more expensive than other products out there? That does happen frequently. Um, I think they're usually surprised when they actually find out that the price differential is not much different than our competition. And we offer so much more with it. Most of our competition, if you buy a Chuck, 
that chuck was actually knocked off when the patent ran out from our quick change chuck and then that's all they've done with it and typically it's a one-piece chuck our chuck is a two-piece chuck so it's infinitely more dialable as well as even if you don't need id work holding even if you don't need a three-jaw adaptation now we all know the, the machine shop environment is a fire drill from time to time and to have these adaptations available to you to be able to do id work holding and to be able to go from a uh, a collet chuck to a three-jaw chuck two minutes or less you're not recutting jaws if you're cutting on the same uh, diameter it just saves time at every step so quality doesn't always mean higher prices we can get quality today um for very reasonable price and that's kind of what you guys are saying let's let's get on multiple machines it's not just lays by the way we're on mills it's, it's not just about price we're going to save you a lot more and you're going to spend and it's reasonably priced to other things out there on the market so this is some of the awareness we want to generate within this world of manufacturing with Heimbuch. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, I, I was just going to say, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a great point. And, uh, you know, the return on investment uh, time after time from our, our customers is, is, you know, the price point is is not what they thought it would be. It's it's often lower, and the return on investment every time is um, is a success. Well, I like to throw little monkey wrenches into conversations uh, because I always like it to be real, um, and I often speak either slower or long winded to give you guys to think uh, a second to think. But the question I want to ask, and and Tom, if you want to go first, and then Jim, if you want to go second. Um, do you guys have an example of a customer and you don't have to say the customer, no NDAs, any of that kind of stuff, but do you have an experience that really brought you joy with a customer, whether it was a new implementation that helped them save cycle time or just change their process altogether, something where they were really grateful. It doesn't matter so much the topic as the expression of how it made you feel of, of why you enjoy the job and why the, the sales position that you're in, you really enjoy what you do and it's about the customer. I think for me, uh, one of the uh, attractions for Heimbu when I began to interview with them was that we're an engineering company. We're not just a line of standard product, if you will. We take on specials and we tackle stuff. And one of the greatest applications I've had uh, the pleasure to work with was a supercharger rotor. Uh, and in order to cut that, the rotor had to be held on journals on both sides. And uh, the customer had tried and failed with just about every other work holding from ER college to uh, competitors chucks to that type of thing and couldn't get it solved. And we were able to take that application, bring it in-house, and with the help of our engineers in Wisconsin and the help of our engineers in Germany, dial in an amazing solution that allowed these guys to stop running macros on their program, load the part one and done, and actually improve their rigidity as well as their uh, end result. Uh, with the rotors for superchargers, it's very important to maintain that profile for the intake and exhaust sides. And uh, that was something they were able to dial in. And um, as you said, gave me a lot of satisfaction to be able to solve something other companies couldn't do and to be able to do it at a, at a price that made sense. Well, Tom, you brought up something um, that, that I think is significant and we should kind of revisit is that the customer wasn't able to do something and the guys in Wisconsin were able to support your customer's project. How significant 
is are the guys in Wisconsin uh, when it comes to those specials? Do you utilize them a lot? Are they there for your customers? And then furthermore, if necessary, do you guys also talk with the guys over in Germany as well when it comes to some specials? Absolutely. Uh, we we kind of use our AEs in uh, in Wisconsin to be our, our mouthpiece, if you will, for uh, for our colleagues in Germany. So we don't kind of mess up the chain. We don't want to play telephone. We want to make sure that we get uh, all the information we can from the customer. And then we get our AEs involved in Wisconsin. Absolutely. I've had several meetings in the last couple of weeks on a large automation project we're working on. Um, the guys at Heinbu are the lifeblood for guys like Jim and I. We can go find the stuff. Um, you know, we're kind of cavemen out here. We go find it, we drag it to the front of the cave, and then we ask them what you want to do with it. You want to make, uh, you want to make steaks? You want to make totes? What do you guys want to do here? And uh, they help us out an awful lot and uh, kind of take the ball and run with it for us once we can find the application. <laughs> I love that analogy. We take it to the front of the cave. That's awesome. Back in the days of uh, hunting and gathering, right? You bring the meat to the cave, let the, let the meat get cooked. Is that how it works? Absolutely. <laughs> you also mentioned something else, and, and that was you, you brushed over specials real quick. I think I've heard you say before that you guys do over a thousand specials a year. Would you like to uh, expand on that a little? Well, that's correct. We do uh, specials based on customer requirements. We have a lot of different stuff we do with the automotive industry. Of course, we grew up in the Rust Belt in the Midwest. Um, that number you heard is correct. Um, we engineer these specials using a combination of standard product and if, if necessary, engineered product. Um, and uh, we basically will take on a lot of things a lot of other companies won't. And, and we'll be honest with you, you know, if we take a look at it and it's not a fit, for you guys, uh, then, then maybe it's not a fit for us, but we can usually help customers to the end, even if they're not buying our product in the long run, because we do understand the applications and we're able to work through it. That's fantastic. Jim, have we given you enough time to think about a customer story for you as well? Well, um, you know, I can't, I can think of lots of customer stories, but I think overall, you know, just the greatest satisfaction is um, every time after time we get, we get our product into someone's shop, just, just seeing how it helps them out and, uh, you know, just being a part of their solution, um, you know, to assist the company, um, as Tom mentioned with specials, just, uh, you know, having a, a unique design specifically for what they're making supplied to them. Um, you know, like I said, time after time, just looking at their faces and seeing how much it helps them um, with their, their end result is, is my biggest satisfaction, you know, customer to customer. And so just so we can clarify for the folks that are listening, um, Jim, if you would mind go first, uh, you're obviously a regional sales manager. What is your area? What region are you in? So I'm in the Northwest. I have uh, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and the West side of Canada. And Tom? Uh, California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. Uh, fantastic locations. I have a uh, some, some good hiking locations in both your areas. You guys should join me at some point. We'll do a little work, of course, because that's how we get away with it. But both of you are in fantastic hiking locations. Anytime. Come Absolutely. on up. That's, that's really cool. So something else I like to do on this show, because I really value your wisdom. And, and we spoke about this, I, I believe, previously. Um, but I really value the people who come on this show, the people who listen, I think, want to learn from you guys and not just about the products themselves, 
because the products are fantastic and we definitely want to learn that. But we also appreciate the life experience that you guys have. And I like to connect on this show with people who are somewhat aware of our industry, but maybe are riding a fence of whether or not to get into it. You know, there's there's a very well-known skills gap at the moment. And whatever we can do as a community, as an engineering family, as a manufacturing family to reduce that gap and inspire people to be more a part of this industry, I believe is a good thing because we are creating everything that's around us. And, and Heimbuch does an amazing job of keeping that spindle turning so that we can make it at a lesser cost so that more people can afford it. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, right? So, I mean, these are planes and cars and buses and, you know, phones and computers and pretty much everything that everyone deals with. But when I stare at this computer, I don't think about the engineer that made it most of the time. And I'm thinking if I'm not in this world, I, I doubt that they're thinking about it either. However, you guys have a passion and an experience that's exciting and, and a level of knowledge that can help people understand why they might want to be a part of it as well. So, um, Tom, I'm going to let you go first again while Jim thinks about it. But, Tom, what advice could you offer to uh, some of the people who are trying to get into this industry and, and why maybe they should do it? Why would, why would people want to be a part of this industry with us? I think it's the greatest industry there is. It's, it's, it's a family. Um, both of you guys know people that have worked for multiple companies within this industry. Um, and kind of everybody knows each other. It's sort of the biggest little family in the world. Um, manufacturing offers ability for people who perhaps don't have a college education, um, but are interested. It takes that interest and it takes that desire to get in and work in a shop and start to learn how to turn the wheels on a manual machine. And then you get in front of a CNC machine and you begin to learn every day in this industry. It offers something fascinating to look at. It's always different. Some guys are making widgets. Some guys are making rockets. Uh, I had a customer that was making animatronic uh, dinosaur parts for Disney. It's, um, it's just never, it's never boring. It's interesting. And, uh, I think it gives back what you put into it. It's sort of like music, right? It's, uh, if you try to play an instrument, you can want it as bad as anything. Uh, and it may be difficult to learn. Uh, but if you put the time in, you're going to learn and you're going to make music. And, uh, I think machining and manufacturing is the same way. If you put the time and effort in, you don't have to be the smartest guy. You don't need a four-year degree you just get into it and put the effort in, it'll pay you back exactly what you put into it. Hey, Tom, I agree with you. I really do. And, you know, when I, what, what, let me preface what I'm about to say with the opposite of what I'm about to say is not a negative. And I'm not sure if that's going to make sense yet, but it will in a minute. And what I mean by that is so many people or parents are proud when their child becomes a pilot, but nobody thinks about the person making the plane. So many people are proud when their child becomes a doctor, but nobody's thinking about who's making all those medical devices that are helping people walk and, and see again and hear again and all of these things. And I am completely respectful to every profession, but I'm with you in the sense to me, it feels like one of the greatest professions in the world, if not the greatest, because it is different all the time. And we're, we're creating, right? These are the rockets that are going into space. This is the medical industry that's helping people get back to enjoying their lives again, these these veterans that are coming back from war, able to, you know, 
have full movement of their arms and legs if that happens to be such a serious thing, which we never want, but it, it, it does exist. So being a part of that really, you know, it brings chills to my, my arms. It brings a little tears to my eyes because it's a significant thing that we do for this world. And I think it should be appreciated as we appreciate it. Agreed. And, and Jim, how about you, buddy? What, what kind of advice would you have getting in? Because we just heard from a broadcaster who switched into machine, machine <laughs> sales that then went into work holding. So, uh, so now we're coming with a guy who was tinkering as a kid, probably fixing his lawnmower for his mom and dad at age three. So what, what advice would you have, Jim? Well, I mean, I guess the main advice would be if, if it's something you're interested in, just to go for it. I mean, almost every, every kind of facet of the manufacturing industry has a ground floor where you can start there and work your way up. You know, uh, everything around you is, is, is manufactured in some way or another, um, you know, that you use day to day. So it's, uh, it's definitely an exciting industry, you know, and just um, start somewhere. So if you want to get into the industry, just, just go for it. And there's always usually a place to start, um, you know, whether it be deburring parts at a shop or cleaning parts at a shop or, you know, what, whatever it is that you want to get into, there's always a place to do it. Uh, like Tom mentioned, you don't necessarily always need a, a degree, but there's nothing wrong with getting a degree to have a, a further understanding of it once you do get into the industry. So, um, you know, I guess, like I said, my main advice would be to just just give it a try and, and go from there and, and work your hardest at it. That's good advice. I think that's good advice for just about every industry as well to any child that I'm looking at. Just follow your heart, right? Just Absolutely. whatever, whatever that is. And that could be something as strange as broadcasting or as, you know, normal as manufacturing and engineering. Uh, Tom, obviously, I'm teasing with you a little bit, but but, <laughs> but that is great advice, Jim. That is great advice. And it's, it's something that we should think about. Um, and I, I've spoken with a lot of people who have said something like, I like this industry because I've never had to worry about having a job. It's, it's a pretty stable industry. My family's pretty much taken care of. Um, I, and this person happened to be at the company that they're with their entire career, but I've heard it come from other people who have switched jobs, but there's always been an open door needing an engineer in this world. So not only do I believe that engineering can stabilize an economy, but it can stabilize a household, which is sometimes more important to our selfish egos than an entire economy. But we can have a great life in this industry. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, I've known a lot of guys that have made a career, like you said, out of one place and have, you know, taken good, raised whole families through it. And as you mentioned, there's always something that needs to be made. And if you have the knowledge and the skills to make it, you always have a, a place to go to do, make that money. That's for sure. And, and let's let me be let me be fair here, because I'm not a money driven person and passion and what we love should come first. Otherwise, we're going to burn money's going to burn out too. believe me. And it's probably going to be more stress than it's worth. So to Jim, to your point, follow your heart, do what you love. But also, if you happen to love this industry, it's going to be a pretty good life, too. You know, it's going to be pretty OK out here um, to jump back on the Heimbuch train real quick. Before we kind of sign off and I let you guys go back to your regularly scheduled programs, I know I'm on East Coast time and you guys are on West Coast time. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add that I've left out? I know it's important that we really shout to the world the significance of Bambo switch from horizontal and vertical machines. So pretty much lays and mills kind of a thing. And the, and the quick change system being able to do that within a few seconds. I think that's important. 
I think it's important to understand that the more we can keep that spindle turning, because the average in the world right now, and maybe also in the country, is about 40%. So if we can get that up to 60, 70, 80%, then we become globally competitive with the products we make. So I think what Heimbook does is helps keep that spindle turning. And then we also want to reiterate that German engineering, while arguably the best engineering on the planet, maybe the Japanese will fight with that, and the Americans probably would from time to time as well, is not always going to be the most expensive product on the planet to go along with that engineering. But other than those topics, and you can touch on those again if you want, Tom, Jim, totally up to you. Are there any other topics that you'd like to relay to our global audience? I think that uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, we talked a lot about our modular system and the today, tonight, tomorrow system. Um, we also make another system called the Centrotech system, which allows folks to use any kind of chuck on their machine for quick change, whether they have three-jaw chucks, collar chucks, existing chucks that are not Heinbu. Uh, we make a system that allows you to mount those chucks to a tooling plate and quick change those off of a Centrotech's main plate. Uh, again, you can swing 14-inch chucks, 18-inch chucks, five minutes or less, and hold 10 micron accuracy. Um, it's, really a, it's really a great um, victory for a lot of these shops. And, and we do go back to the safety. Like Jim said, you know, you're bucking a chuck around and you're trying to hold this thing and get it properly onto the spindle. When we start talking 12, 14, 18-inch chucks, there's no uh, dragging those around uh, by yourself and no real lifting that you can do with yourself. So we make assisted lifting devices, as you mentioned as well, uh, in order to accomplish these things. So really the sky's the limit. If you've got a work holding project and you're not sure how to tackle it, we're happy to tackle it with you. Uh, and we have a lot of different ways to skin the cat. Hey, Tom, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I'd like to just revisit that again as well. So what we're saying is if I have invested X amount of dollars, but I've invested in, you know, something like a shunk product. I can adapt the Heimbuch product without having to reinvent the wheel again. I can just apply that. So I've not lost money. I'm just gaining possibility and potential on my existing machine. That's correct, right? Absolutely. And uh, you can go from there and you can add to that system, the modularity of it, build it like Legos, basically. And now add a collet chuck, let's say. Um, we frequently run into that where customers have three-jaw chucks, but they want to use a collet chuck, and the three-jaw is quite large. And how do we go about doing this? And that's exactly how we go after that project with the Centrotech system. Very cool. And, Jim, is there anything to add from your end? Uh, I'd just like to, you know, go back in on just the flexibility of Heimbuch. If there's any work holding issues that someone may be experiencing that they're having a hard time solving a bottleneck on their setup time. Um, as Tom mentioned, you know, uh, time after time we engineer custom solutions. So, um, you know, give Heimbuch a shot and let us, let us come up with what we can. And, you know, the return on investment is always worth it. That's fantastic. So I'm gonna let you guys individually, um, kind of fill in the blanks here. Uh, if somebody is interested in, where to find Heimbuch as a company, uh, LinkedIn, social sites, websites, if you guys could label that. And then also, if they want to get in touch with you guys individually in your territory, what would be the best way to find you as well? Um, Jim, if you want to go first, and Tom, if you want to go second, just let everyone know, how can we get in touch with you? How can we find you? 
Sure. Well, if you wanted to find me personally, I have a, a presence on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I have a, you can go to the website and contact them directly at Heimbook America. Um, and my email is jradke at heimbookamerica.com. And Tom, how about and you, buddy? Absolutely. Uh, pretty much everything that uh, Jim said there applies to me as well. I'm T Chambers at heimbookamerica.com. Uh, we do offer uh, a pretty extensive website. It has a virtual booth on that website, shows all of our products. That's heimboothamerica.com. Uh, and you can go there and find full catalogs as well. And feel free to reach out to Jim or myself or the main office if you need literature or a catalog or anything of that nature. We're happy to help. Well, now that you've blasted your personal emails to everyone, I can only imagine all the spam and naughty, naughty emails you're going to get in your inbox. Keeps it interesting. <laughs> Never a dull moment, is there? Never a dull moment. Well, you guys are absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you being here. And I say this a lot, but it, it really does come from the heart. Thank you for teaching me more and educating me about the industry, your product, and yourselves. So I appreciate you sharing your time. As it's the one thing we cannot get back. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having us on here. Uh, I know I appreciated it. I'm sure Tom did too. So thank you very much for taking the time to have us on your show. And for appreciate everyone, it, absolutely, Tom and Jim. And for everyone who's listening, guys, this is The Gun Show. We are with Tom and Jim of Heimbook America. And we're doing our very best to bring artificial intelligence to life. And what does that mean? Well, it's not a cold, dark world and machining, fellas and ladies and gentlemen and everyone, whatever, everyone involved. It is a beautiful, creative, amazing world. Tom and Jim are a great representation of that. So let's bring this authenticity to life and let's share this with the world. So thank you all for listening to The Gun Show, and I hope to see you next week.